Welcome to the Global Careers Podcast, sponsored by GW Cyber, the source for inspiring stories from seasoned professionals who have embraced a global role and reaped the benefits. We offer practical advice and insider tips across a broad swath of industries and fields around the world about what it's like to work globally. If you love adventure and thrive on taking risks and operating outside your comfort zone, join us as we explore the ins and outs of pursuing an international career. My name is Stacey nevadomsky Burdan, and I'll be your host. Our first season dives into what it's like working globally through the pandemic and the outlook for global careers in a post-COVID-19 world. The coronavirus pandemic has made adaptability the new normal as we all figure out new ways of working. But one field in particular has had the spotlight on it from the very beginning, human resources. As organizations transition to a remote workforce model almost overnight, the need to keep employees engaged, committed, and inspired elevated the importance of HR professionals within their organizations as never before. Steve Miranda is a global HR executive with almost 40 years of experience in the corporate, nonprofit, education, and public sectors. He has lived and worked in Hong Kong with responsibility throughout the region, and most recently has witnessed firsthand the effects of the pandemic on the workplace at the Federal Reserve Board of Governors. Steve believes in the power of great HR and says that now is a terrific time to be in the field because the value of HR is more apparent than ever. He observes how HR practitioners have had to rethink what and how they communicate with employees on a greater scale than ever before. He shares his perspective on how telework allows for a more accessible global workforce, which requires workers to be much more culturally savvy. Why does he see technology and diversity playing the most critical roles for all workers in the future? Have a listen as Steve takes us into a world where he reimagines what HR can contribute to the new, complex global workplace post-COVID-19 and offers sound advice for the global workforce of the future. Hi and welcome, Steve. It's always a pleasure to have a conversation with you about any and all things global, and particularly today about international careers and working globally through the pandemic. Thanks, Stacy. It's uh, always a delight to catch up with you and talk about uh, a subject very near and dear to my heart. One of the objectives of this podcast is to provide a sense of the many professional opportunities that are out there. You have had quite the career working across many industries and for many top-notch organizations over the course of almost 40 years. Tell us about it. Sure. I, you know, Stacy, I have been incredibly fortunate to work at some terrific organizations. Uh, these include Bell Laboratories, Lucent Technologies, the Society for Human Resource Management, um, Cornell University, and most recently, my role at the Federal Reserve Board of Governors. During my career, I, I sometimes refer to myself as what I call a split personality <laughs> professional. And that is because my graduate degree is actually computer science, and I spent the first part of my career doing large-scale software development for Bell Labs. Um, I then took a rotation uh, into a strategy and marketing development job, and then from that role, I moved over to human resources, where I found that I really enjoyed the function, and I've been in human resources for about the last 25 years, moving from Lucent Technologies to the Society of Human Resource Management to Cornell University and now to the Fed. Most recently at the Fed, I've sort of come back home again because my portfolio consists of both the human resources function as well as what are called technology applications. So this would be the HRIS system, financial systems, etc. And, you know, as I look back on it, I've had the benefit of some great experiences across a for-profit corporation, a major nonprofit, an Ivy League school, 
and now a well-respected federal agency in the public sector. What an amazing career. You certainly have worked for some outstanding organizations. And it's evident that you enjoy your work in HR. What is it that you like the most about it? What advice do you have for students considering a career in HR? Yeah, so I, I'm not going to go with the, the standard book answer in this. I'm going I'm to go with a more spiritual or a more aspirational description of HR. Because I think at its core, the HR function is a dream enabler. It helps individuals achieve their dreams. It helps organizations achieve their dreams. And what I love the most about it is that it is simultaneously extremely simple and incredibly complex. It's simple from the perspective that it's all about motivation and enablement of individuals and organizations. It's complex because what you soon find out as you travel around the world and work with different peoples and cultures is that what motivates people is what motivates people. And what that means is it's exceptionally complicated to understand exactly what the best processes or systems or approaches to put in place are. You know, I'll I'll give you a couple of examples of how you need to be especially clever in thinking about an HR career. Uh, One would be a situation where we found ourselves in some pretty, you know, challenging financial situations. And the word came down from the top to go ahead and cut back on almost all of our training. Well, my training and development team went to the business leaders and they came up with a proposal that says, hey, how about if you don't cut our training budget at all, but the only thing we focus on on training for this year is how to handle cost reductions or what are better ways to go ahead and put in place cost mitigation strategies. Needless to say, there was a little bit of pushback initially, but we put that sort of program in place and we ended up paying back dividends to the organizations uh, many times over. So there's an example of what I call HR being extremely simple, hey, putting place a simple program, but also being extremely complicated in trying to understand exactly what the businesses was facing and how to go ahead and deal with it. You have painted a very clear picture of HR, and I am pretty sure that I can hear a collective murmur of approval and clapping from HR professionals around the world. But every organization does not place the same value on HR. How do you deal with that challenge? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I I think the biggest challenge comes from the function itself. Uh, In in many organizations, uh, HR is considered one of the lesser contributors uh, to the output or the productivity of the organization. I've been fortunate enough to work in organizations where that has not been the case. And when I talk to leaders who are frustrated about the role HR has, you know, what I chat with them about is, well, it's almost certain that your organizational leader has never experienced great HR. You know, think about it like great food or a great book or watching a great ballet. You need to show them that what they've experienced so far falls very short on what the profession is capable of delivering. You know, great, great HR is a function of two things. You know, number one, it's a function of the individual practicing it. You know, their experience, their wisdom, their professionalism, their attitude. But it also is a function of the organization's appreciation on how profoundly it can impact their performance. So the biggest challenge an HR professional uh, usually faces is the ability to get the organization to look about the function as an investment as opposed to an expense. That's super smart. And it seems as though the field really requires problem solvers, including globally, especially during this pandemic. What are some of the trends that you're seeing today that students need to be aware of? 
Sure. And, and Stacey, you've hit it right on the head that the pandemic has impacted the HR profession and industries, you know, in two words. And those two words would be a lot. Uh, to put a little bit more muscle uh, on that bone, I, I'll, I'll get a little bit more specific. So there are lots of models out there that break down the HR function into what are called subject matter domains. And so, you know, for the sake of today's podcast, let, let's just talk about five domains, you know, strategic HR planning, talent acquisition, development and retention, total rewards, or what's also called comp and benefits, uh, employee and labor relations, and then the last risk management and liability. Every one of those five functions and domain areas has been profoundly impacted. As an example, in strategic HR planning, you know, so what are the components of our new social contract between employer and employee? How has the pandemic impacted that and our obligation to our employees? Around the talent acquisition, development, and retention, the pandemic has caused us to think about the ubiquity of telework. How can I better leverage my global talent pools? Do I have to have people in my geographic areas anymore? Uh, the second part of the talent acquisition, development, and retention is, you know, what new tools are needed to help glue our organizations together? Is Zoom everything that we need? You know, how is this Microsoft Teams going to work? What about Skype, some of the older technologies? How do we bring it all together? Total rewards has also been impacted. You know, does the portfolio of our current benefits need to be adjusted to accommodate new employee demands? What about additional childcare? What about the work at home individual who's teleworking and has an elder person that they're also taking care of? How can we do all these benefits and still fit within the required cost envelope that we're constrained by? Employer and labor relations, right? This goes far beyond just the workplace itself. You know, what is our role in ensuring public transportation is up to snuff and people feel safe coming into work? What about workplace safety? Are we going to install screens or plastic shields between office spaces? What about air purification systems, etc.? And then lastly, and the most challenging is, you know, how do we manage the overall risk and liability around what COVID has done to the workplace? You know, what will return to the old normal, where it will be just like the good old days, and what will become the permanent new normal, where organizations have to pivot and accommodate to new ways and forms of doing business and work? These are just all fascinating areas, all five of these, and front and center in every one of these areas is the HR function. So it's just a great time to be an HR professional right now. That's quite a significant impact. And I have to admit that I haven't really thought about how all of those areas fall within the HR domain, but of course they do. And it's even more interesting as we think about HR on a global scale, isn't it? Let's take a discussion into the changes that have already taken place. What are some of these new work practices that you envision continuing post-pandemic? Yeah, I, I think almost for certain um, what COVID and the coronavirus has done is simply accelerated the trends that were already in motion for the past several years. You know, as an example, many organizations were very hesitant to embrace telework because they, you know, felt it would negatively impact teamwork or organizational culture. But they've been confronted by what I call in the mathematics side an existence proof that when knitted together with the right tools and led by educated supervisors and leaders, telework can be as effective and sometimes even more effective than on-premise collaboration and it has incredible collateral benefits. You can look more broadly for your talent pool. You can lower your expenses by decreasing the amount of office space. So number one, I, I think telework is absolutely going to be a new wave of the future. 
Um, the other thing that uh, I think will also be profoundly impacted will be the range of where organizations seek out their talent. You know, geographic proximity is no longer going to be an issue. And if you think about the internet as a time and space distorter, uh, we, I think, will see many organizations diversifying their workforce to not only be in multiple states within the United States, but in multiple geographies around the world. Many companies have already done this. Uh, certainly the Fortune 200 companies do this extensively, but I think we're going to start to see that practice percolate downwards into smaller companies as they look to gain talent from around the world uh, and source it in a way that will be seamlessly connected through all of these different technologies and tools. So what you're saying is that we are seeing the future of the global workforce evolving right now and much more quickly due to the pandemic, which means that the global job seekers need to have certain skills beyond their technical know-how in order to succeed. I get that. But you know, as someone who's worked around the world for years, it can be difficult and, and different from the past. What do you think, what skills do you believe are essential to working across cultures today? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Some of the, what I would call ancillary skills, what is required to be successful globally today versus, say, 25 years ago, have definitely changed. But, but I think I refer to them as, as the core five or the big five skills uh, that I absolutely believe any global practitioner needs to have. And in, in no particular order, those skills are patience. Americans place a high value on speed, and you need to understand the timing and the pace with which other cultures operate. The second is listening. You absolutely have to be willing to go ahead and understand why things are done in particular ways in certain countries. Uh, the third is flexibility. Uh, again, Western cultures often place a premium on being right, where I think a lot of cultures around the world place more of a premium on being effective. So how flexible are you in order to get what you need to get done, done? The fourth is humility. Uh, you know, the truth is there's lots of smart, hardworking people in the world, and most of them don't come from your native culture. That's just the reality of the way math plays out. So being humble in how you approach a problem or a challenge and understanding that there's value in the local practice or the regional practice. And I would say the fifth and probably the most important skill uh, that global practitioners need to sharpen and develop is curiosity. And it all comes down into how you say a particular sentence. Those who say, well, why did they do it this way? are frankly doomed to failure versus those who use the exact same words and say, huh, why do they do it this way? Which implies a curiosity and a willingness to understand will almost certainly be more successful in their global careers. It all has to do, Stacy, with the listening into which we speak. Global cultures around the world look at each other and they want to see individuals who practice patience, listening, flexibility, humility, and again, most of all, curiosity. So true, so true, and a great set of skills, too. And similar to the results of the research that I conducted uh, with successful global workers over the past decade. And I really like it when the data is confirmed. So what about organizations, companies, corporations? What do they need to succeed in this new global marketplace? An organizational leader needs to be asking him or herself a very simple question. And that question is, is the quality of my workforce on December 31st, let's just pick the end of the year, better than it was on January 1st? And 
what has to be considered is the current skill set of the workforce. How do we have skills that apply to our current portfolio of jobs and responsibilities? What the future skill set will be if we're moving into new geographies and new marketplaces? Do we have the skills and talent required to step into those roles? If our workforce is diversifying across multiple geographies, do we have managers that are trained in how to go ahead and knit together these virtual teams? Uh, what are the cost points of what is known as labor arbitrage? How do I get the most effective output at the lowest and cheapest cost point? And how do we go ahead and manage the risk? Uh, I think one of the things that we've seen from the breaking of the global supply chains is that we had very efficient global supply chains around the world, but they were very brittle. Yes. And speaking of global supply chains, let's talk about globalization. You've been a champion of globalization for as long as we've known each other. But there are critics, and their voices have gotten louder during the pandemic. What's your take on globalization post-pandemic? Uh, the pandemic pointed out definitely several weaknesses in the way the global economy has been operating. We, we mentioned earlier the brittleness of our supply chains. Countries and organizations will need to find ways to fix all of these issues. Uh, do I believe globalization is dead? Absolutely not. However, we also have to find a way to manage what is increasingly being seen to be the unfairness of globalization. That is further bifurcation of the world's population into haves and have-nots. And I think that's one of the reasons you see the concept of ESG or environment, uh, society and governance taking on so much new importance around the world today. Yes. And you've pointed out that today's environment provides a lot of opportunity for students looking for jobs and ways to see so many paths opening. Paths with all sorts of new problems to be solved as part of an enhanced global economy. What specific opportunities and or obstacles do you see students encountering if they decide to pursue a global career post-pandemic? Yeah, there, there's certainly going to be uh, lots of opportunities as the health and safety concerns around COVID start to be addressed. Uh, there are also going to be, uh, you know, multiple obstacles that they're going to have to deal with. You know, some of those that come to the top of my mind are, you know, health and safety. Um, the other challenging uh, aspect that people who are interested in global careers will have to deal with is that companies have radically cut back on expat packages. Uh, it's much more local or local plus that is going to become the new normal. So students need to become familiar with you know, simple things such as what are the tax consequences of me going on a Singapore payroll or of me spending two years in China or of me thinking about spending the next 10 years of my life in Europe, but still wanting to retain my citizenship of you fill in the country, whether it be the United States, Canada, Britain, etc. My advice to students will be uh, sign up for the adventure and the experience. You'll figure out those details. I agree wholeheartedly with you. There are challenges, but they are not insurmountable, are they? No. Yet the personal and professional growth that one experiences through living and working internationally is tremendous. And these things will take time. Today's students may not be launching right into a global career. In fact, they've been thrown into a bit of a disarray with the rise of virtual learning, the decline of in-person classes and internships, canceled study abroad, all of which have disheartened so many. Many people advise resilience, of course. But what other advice do you have for students today? The future of work will center around two major things. Number one, diversity. And number two, technology. So I would encourage students to really start to understand aspects of cultural dimensions. I mentioned technology. There is no support function, business function, organizational function in the world that has not been and will not continue to be disrupted by technology. And so 
getting the skills where you become very comfortable with technology, but also anticipating how technology will change the way that we do work and the way that organizations do work is absolutely right at the top of the list of what students need to understand. Such clear guidance, Steve. Thank you so much. You have reminded me yet again how much I enjoy talking with you. Is there a piece of advice you wish you had been given sometime, somewhere along your career? Make the big decisions before you have to. And then think about whether you need to take the next job, not just from the perspective of the next job, but the job you want to do after that. Before we wrap up, is there anything else you'd like to add, something else you'd like to share? Understand what your information diet is and take steps to make sure that you're getting multiple perspectives on what it is you're consuming. Yes. Thank you, Steve. I really, really appreciate the time that you've taken to share your experiences with our listeners. It's been such a treat for me to catch up with you. Thanks again. You're very welcome, Stacey. You have been listening to the GW Cyber Global Careers Podcast, working globally through the pandemic and the outlook for global careers in a post-COVID-19 world. Join us again next time. And in the meantime, go global.